Production and distribution of City Club forums on IdeaStream are made possible by the generous support of PNC, the Chautauqua Institution, the Cleveland Clinic, and the United Black Fund of Greater Cleveland Incorporated. Bureau Chief of the Ohio Public Radio and Television, Statehouse News Bureau, and I am pleased to introduce today's speaker. He's a gentleman I've known for a long time. He's brilliant, has lots of things to say, and you're going to love hearing him talk. He's got an amazing voice, which you'll hear in a moment. <laughs> the Director of the Ohio Department of Transportation, Dr. Jack Marchbanks. Thank you, everybody. Thank you. With the fourth largest interstate system in the country, second largest inventory of bridges, and sixth largest number of vehicle miles traveled, Ohio's transportation system is a significant investment, both locally and nationally. And last year, that investment got a boost when the state's transportation budget was approved to include a 10.5 cent increase per gallon increase in gas and a 19 cent per gallon increase in diesel, a tax that is projected to add $1 billion each year to fix the state's distressed roads and bridges and take on new construction projects. While there's little debate about the need for fixing our infrastructure, it has raised questions about the state's perceived prioritization of cars and driving over other modes of transportation, which are also in need of funding, such as transit, biking, and walking. Today we'll hear more about the challenges and opportunities facing the future of mobility in Ohio. Dr. Jack Marchbanks was named director of ODOT, affectionately known as ODOT, the Ohio Department of Transportation, by Governor Mike DeWine in January 2019, after serving as its assistant director for business and human resources. For many years, Dr. Marchbanks was ODOT's District 6 deputy director in Central Ohio. It encompasses an eight-county region there. In that capacity, he helped reconnect downtown Columbus with the expanding Short North as part of the freeway caps and gateway ramps project designed to fix safety problems along the Interstate 7071 downtown corridor and reconnect neighborhoods torn apart by the freeways for Columbus residents like me, this was huge. The, the whole 670, 71, 70, it, it's a big deal. Dr. Marchbanks earned a bachelor's degree in political science from the University of Dayton, an MBA from Xavier University, Master of Arts from Clark Atlanta University, and most recently a PhD in history from the Ohio University. <laughs> He's also the longtime co-host of Jazz Sunday, a weekly three-hour radio program on WCBE 90.5 FM in Columbus. That's actually how I first encountered him when I was working working there several years ago. So esteemed guests, members, and friends of the City Club of Cleveland, please join me in welcoming Dr. Jack Marchbanks. Well, it's well, great to see you. Well, it's, it's great to be up here in Cleveland with you, uh, Karen. Uh, I have a fondness for Cleveland. Uh, I have uh, been coming up here ever since the early 90s. Uh, when you had the Voinovich DeWine administration. I ran my first marathon in Cleveland. I, I was in shock as I finished. You know, it was my very first one. It was not a great time. It was 1997. And I also have been a member, a uh, co contributing member of the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame since 1995. I attended the inaugural con concert out there in old Cleveland Brown Stadium, stood online with Mike Tirico. It was really weird. Uh, <laughs> but uh, also, uh, I am happy to come to Cleveland recently uh, for the last several years to participate and MC for the Tri-C Jazz Festival, a fine jazz festival that you have here 
in the greater Cleveland area. So I, I have a lot of affection for this city. You're, you're, you're basically a renaissance man with all these things. But we're going we're gonna to talk about transit, at least for right now. Yes. So let's talk about the gas tax increase. Uh, it changed Ohio's total state taxes on a gallon of gasoline to 38.5 cents yes. with a 10.5 cent increase. How much is it raised and where is that money going? We had eight areas that were specifically named in Cuyahoga County that were on the 150 most dangerous intersections. Correct. Where does this money go? This money is going to not only the Ohio Department of Transportation, uh, we're looking at $450 million for the Ohio Department of Transportation statewide, but $370 million for local governments. What we want to remind people is that when uh, Governor Mike DeWine was able to convince the Ohio General Assembly to support this increase in revenue, this increase in investment in our system, which we all depend upon and why you're here because it's so vitally important to our quality of lives and our, our economic development, what we also did is that we increased the share to local governments. The city of Cleveland and Cuyahoga County are getting increased revenue flows as a result of this. The split used to be 60-40. 60% of the dollars that went to, uh, came from the gas tax, uh, went to ODOT, and 40% went to the locals. That shifted in favor of the locals, 55-45. That money is being used to move forward with uh, needed uh, repairs to the system, uh, to this interstate system. We have. 50,000 lane miles of uh, roadway that we are responsible for at the Ohio Department of Transportation. 8,400 miles of that are interstate, which we all depend upon. Uh, the U.S. highways and uh, U.S. highways and state routes uh, represents the balance. We have 15,000 bridges we're taking care of, so we are taking care of the system. The, the, our mantra at ODOT is the safe and easy movement of people and good from place to place. And to do that, we have to keep our system in a state of good repair. The other major, major push uh, by Governor Mike DeWine was for safety. Uh, we have a, a, a very slow population growth here in Ohio. We, we need every Ohioan. Everyone is precious. Every Ohioan is precious. And we have this mantra at ODOT towards zero deaths. Uh, so we are working in cities in, in a way that we haven't done before to address these high crash locations where the citizens are losing their lives. Uh, we are doing at least 50 projects in urban areas such as Cleveland, 50 in uh, suburban, er suburban areas, and 50 in rural areas. So the great emphasis is, of course, maintaining the system we already have, keeping it in a state of good repair, but also looking toward addressing those safety, uh, safety locations. As I mentioned in your intro, you've been at ODOT for a very long time. Yes. Was this something that we should have seen coming? Um, Will Tarter from the Center for Community Solutions actually mm -hmm. asked me about this on Twitter mm -hmm. when I put out a call for questions to find out what you folks wanted to know. Mm -hmm. And he talked about how quickly the decision was made to go to a tax increase. Was this something that was happening all along that we should have seen coming? There were discussions at ODOT uh, during the previous administration that there was going to have to be some type of increase in revenue. Uh, and. These discussions have been ongoing at least since I returned to ODOT in 2016. Uh, we were able to bring the issue to uh, the Ohio General Assembly, to Speaker Householder and to uh, uh, President Abhoff because of the courage of Mike DeWine. He saw that there was uh, a real revenue need and that it couldn't be uh, offset by debt. ODOT had borrowed a huge amount of money over not just during the Kasich administration, but during the uh, Strickland and toward the end of the Taft administration. So as the saying went, we have maxed out our credit card. Just this past year, we, have, we spent $400 million paying off debt that we, we still owe. So this revenue increase was really, really uh, 
vital, critical to us moving forward and keeping the system in a state of good repair. One of the other things that came out in the transportation budget was fees, specifically for hybrid and electric vehicles, yes. which don't use as much, or in some cases, any gas, yes. and but still do some damage to the roads. $100 for hybrids, $200 for electrical or electric vehicles. Mm -hmm. It'll raise $15.8 million. Are there specific plans for that money? And is it fair to single out those specific types of vehicles for those big fees, one of my Twitter followers mm -hmm. called it a penalty. A penalty. So uh, is there a plan for this, and, and why single out those cars in particular? The addition of fees uh, to the revenue package was the decision of the Ohio General Assembly. ODOT uh, was agnostic and accepted that. We believe that those vehicles and those drivers were adding to you know the damage to the system that they drive on, that they depended on. So it's it's fair that everyone pays something toward uh, keeping the system in a state of good repair. Uh, as to the metrics, as to how they came up with $200 and $100, $200 for electric and $100 for hybrid, uh, you would have to ask uh, Mr. Householder and, and, and Mr. Obhoff how they came up with that. But we know that, in fairness to them, we know that those are very similar to what Indiana is doing. Indiana has a very similar um, package. And in regard to that, they, I think they were prescient in the sense that we are in the middle of a paradigm shift. Uh, we have going on right now at ODOT, we have the revenue in hand, but we're looking to the future. This is about Ohio's transportation future. My job is to help Governor DeWine see what the challenges and opportunities are in coming in the future. So we have people who are estimating that the civilian fleet of vehicles will be almost all electric by 2045. We have Access Ohio 2045. We have a freight study coming up that also has a horizon year for 2045. What you're looking at here is the end of the combustion vehicle. When you are all in your rest homes out there, you're going to be telling, you're going to be telling your grandkids, I remember when I used to have to buy gas. You know, but that's not, that's not going to be the case you know, 10, 20 years from now. So I have to give uh, Speaker uh, Householder and uh, President Opoff some credit into looking toward the future. We are transitioning. We are looking at a transition of the system. Technology is coming. What we're looking at in the future is a paradigm shift. In 1991, when I first came to ODOT, I walked into my boss's office and said, hey, they just made this internet thing public. I think this is going to be big. And, uh, and that was the big trans, you know, that was, a, that was a disruptive technology that's basically shaped our world since then. Now we have a, a, a host of disruptive technologies all centered around transportation, all involved with how we move, re-envisioning you know, the transportation system as mobility, not just you know, uh, a system uh, with vehicles and, and roadway. So I believe that we are going to be looking at more and more EVs uh, on our system, and we are actually changing our engineering standards to anticipate that, because those vehicles are heavy. <laughs> they are, they're heavy vehicles. And you're, you're going to have to move away from the gas tax as yes. the primary source of funding. Yes, yes we are. And we're also exploring uh, as a part of a, a mandate with the Ohio's Road to Ohio's Future with Ohio General Assembly looking at vehicle miles traveled. I know people don't like to hear about that because they think about big brother and intrusive technology and big data and people spying on you. But we already live in a surveillance economy, everybody. We already live in a surveillance economy. So what we're looking at is how do we fairly look at vehicle miles traveled? Because even though we were able to convince the Ohio General Assembly with Governor DeWine's leadership for this revenue increase, we know that it's a bridge, it's a transition revenue stream. So we have to be looking to the future. 
I want to turn to another topic here. ODOT got involved in a local situation following the death of 36-year-old Tara Nolden on Euclid in East Cleveland. She was hit by a car crossing yes. at an intersection where a traffic signal had been removed yes. because it was malfunctioning. Uh, you've now gotten involved in the situation and, and are rebuilding some of those signals there. Are there other why did that happen and are there other parts of the state where you're also looking at this? How does how does ODOT get involved in a local situation involving a traffic signal? Well, I want to, before I answer that, Karen, I want to point out that the Ohio Department of Transportation usually isn't in cities. You know, this is a home rule state. Uh, cities are responsible for maintaining those systems, even those state routes that go through their systems, those U.S. routes uh, that go through their system. In this case, the city of East Cleveland was in a state of fiscal emergency, the previous administration, uh, in, a, you know, in an effort of goodwill, of doing good, uh, said we would manage the project. I have to give uh, Noaka and Grace Colucci and her team great credit for helping out the city of East Cleveland in terms of funding the project. ODOT happened to be project manager. So again, the tragedy, the loss of life for Tara Nolden, we, we, I stood, you know, just feet from her brother as he embraced Governor DeWine when we showed up on scene a couple of weeks ago. Those tragedies point to, her particular tragedy points to an alarming increase in pedestrian deaths all across the state. And we have launched a new pedestrian safety program. Even though ODOT is not the city, uh, we are working with cities to uh, identify with our, our great database, all the databases, all the, all the uh, data that we can gather to target those crossings where we're having a high, a high number of pedestrian injuries and deaths. So we are looking at working with all the cities, particularly the eight largest cities in, in, the, in the state, in terms of collaboratively working with our local partners to improve pedestrian safety. We have great design examples from all across the nation and from Europe, where they have high pedestrian you know, traffic all the time, how, do we, how can we make pedestrian crossings safer? Now that there are more people getting on and off transit, there are people crossing mid-block, how, how do we deal with this? <coughs> you brought up transit, so let's just launch right into that. Oh boy, I should have done when that. I, when, when, I, when I asked for questions on Twitter, public transit and passenger rail were the two big ones. And as I said in the intro, ODOT has, is looking at these different things, walking, biking, transit. Yes, active as, transportation, as all, yes. Right. So let, let's start with uh, uh, Sue Mancino of Wycliffe. I know she's here. She asked me uh, to ask you, you've been quoted as saying that transit is a local issue. Mm. You do have people, though, who come from out of a local community to mm. use transit yes. to get into the cities. Yes. So what is your definition of local and, and how... How do you look at it that way when you do have people coming from out of, say, Caga County to use RTA? When I say when I said transit is a local issue, I am referring to you know the birth of you know the regional transit authorities across the state. In the mid 1970s, I believe it was around 1970 or nine, somewhere between 1970 and 74, the Ohio General Assembly authorized cities and counties to form regional transit authorities, and Cleveland was one of the first to do that. And that creates a local base of funding, authorizing them to pursue local tax initiatives to fund those transit issues. That's what I was referring to when I said transit is a local issue when it comes to funding. ODOT is supportive of local transit. We will do what we can, but the primary responsibility for transit, at least legislatively, if you want to change it, talk to your legislators. Uh, the primary uh, aspect of that is local, but we are working to, again, 
use the data, use, use the great resources that we have to help local governments figure out the best way to uh, facilitate transit. Uh, we are happy that the Ohio General Assembly added $70 million, unprecedented, because they're recognizing it because of great uh, legislators like your own Stephanie House who, who wrote, you know, brought that issue to bear and saying, we need more money for transit. And the Ohio General Assembly, for the first time since I've been around, and I've been around for almost 30 years, put $70 million into uh, transit. And we are, as the Department of Transportation, <coughs> excuse me, over getting over a little bit of a cold, we as the Ohio Department of Transportation are managing that money. Uh, uh, we're, we're saying we're putting out competitive uh, grants, and um, we are happy to be putting that money into local communities. In fact, last year you announced nearly $105 million in grants for public Correct. transit. Yes. Uh, but you also, there was an ODOT <coughs> study in 2015, so before your time, okay. uh, that showed Ohio had the nation's 14th highest ridership levels on public transit, yes. but was 45th among all states in actually funding it. Correct. So there's quite a discrepancy there. Yes, the discrepancy in many ways is our statutory over or structure in, in states like Pennsylvania, uh, and even Michigan, uh, they have dedicated sources for transit at the state level. We do not in Ohio. So uh, that is a gap that is in plain sight for all of us, and we need to do something about it. And when you lobby lawmakers for funding, especially for public transit, yes. it, it's, it's a challenge potentially when you only have certain areas of the state that have I mean, every there are a lot there's lots of different forms of public transit yes. but the most visible ones are in the cities indeed. and there are a lot of lawmakers who are not from cities in, indeed but we think that and this is just me speaking we think that is changing in the sense that rural communities are now relying on, on local transit we have a new grant that we're looking at using technology uh, the automated the driving systems for rural counties because many of these populations are, are older uh, they have health issues, and they need transit systems to get to health care, to get to those vital visits that they need. So we're looking at these as using technology to help bring transit to rural communities. So maybe that political math will change uh, with not just urban centers, but some of those rural uh, areas that happen to be the districts of some of the legislators who are not that warm and fuzzy about transit. Maybe it will uh, change their minds. Do you ever see a day when the state could fund public transit to the point where it could be free? I mean, Kansas City is doing that now. Is there any possibility that Ohio would ever see that? I can't speculate on that. And that's just Kansas City. That's not the entire state of Kansas. That's true. <laughs> Good point. Good point. Well, I, I, I want to save some public transit questions for y'all, because I'm sure you folks have public transit questions yes. as well. I want to ask you, though, about passenger rail. Yes. Now, Ohio did seem to come close to getting passenger rail connecting its three major cities yes. under former Governor Ted Strickland, yes. but when former Governor John Kasich won, he shut that down immediately. There seems to be a question about whether there's still an appetite for that. I mean, my mentions on Twitter were full of people saying that they want to see this happen. Uh, they, they really are strong supporters and point out that Ohio doesn't have a passenger rail like other states do. What part would passenger rail play in Ohio's future transportation plans? Is there a role for it? Well, passenger rail, I think, is important for Ohio's future. If we're going to have a state that attracts people, when we need that population influx. And I think we're poised to get it with uh, climate change making those coastal areas not that attractive anymore. Uh, we, we need, again, as a state, to come together 
and figure out a plan. Again, I know it's easy to go to ODOT and say, or, or say, let's do it administratively, but it's really going to take a legislative mandate. Uh, passenger rail would be a boon to ODOT because it would take some of the traffic off our roadways. Uh, I, I cannot tell you, I'm always amazed when I drive from Columbus to Cleveland. I said, does the traffic ever slow down between Columbus and Cleveland? It's always, it's always busy. And that's after we added a third lane during the DeWine, the Boinovich DeWine administration back in the early 1990s. Uh, so passenger rail is important. I think even more important, and this is just me speaking for local, uh, local, local regions, uh, economic vitality and health and quality of life is regional light rail, I think is very important. I've watched cities, when I was at ODOT back in the uh, late 1990s, I watched uh, St. Louis adopt a light rail package while we were still dithering in Columbus over the North Rail uh, corridor between Delaware and, and Columbus. So again, it takes political will. We are, we are public servants. We do not create the mandates. We do not create the overview. We uh, carry out uh, the mandates given to us by our governor and, and by the legislature. So again, uh, there are a lot of smart and uh, politically engaged people in this room. Uh, I think you know what you have to do. You know, it's, it's legislative, it can, be by, it can be by referendum. If you really want it done, you can marshal the people to get it done. There have been mixed results in other states though. Yes. Yes. Yeah. So it, it, it's, their will may be there, but the money is a major, major concern. Yeah, even states that have gone forward, such as California, uh, there are daunting uh, uh, environmental and just sheer cost uh, issues that would make the adoption of a, uh, a rail, passenger rail from city to city, uh, nearly you know, uh, impossible to accomplish with what we know now, but I do think there is opportunities for regional light rail for those communities who want to put the energy behind it. Uh, before we go to audience questions here, I have a couple more that I want to move on because I'm, I'm sure that there's passenger rail questions here as well. One of my followers had a pretty pointed question mm -hmm. when asked about your thoughts on the Hyperloop. Mm -hmm. Is it a practical joke? or skillful grist. <laughs> <laughs> so I, I, I think we know how that follow-up feels, but is, there, is, is the Hyperloop something that ODOT would even be looking at as, as a, 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 something to be putting into the transportation model of the future? Well, it's something you have to consider. I, I don't think it's a joke. I, I think that you have some very smart business people, including Sir Richard Branson, uh, who are investing hundreds of millions of dollars into this technology. Uh, well, of course, we have uh, a Hyperloop uh, feasibility study underway here in the Cleveland area and another one that runs through Columbus from Pittsburgh uh, over to uh, Fort Wayne, Indiana and to Chicago. Those projects, we support it with feasibility studies. We support it both. But again, we're keenly observing these, uh, these developments, but they're private sector, uh, private sector enterprises. Uh, we are watching to see how they develop. Much more important to us is uh, the transport, uh, smart mobility. That is what we are really paying attention to because not only will that provide economic development opportunities for Ohio, as some of our good friends, I see Randy Cole out in the audience, he knows how important these things are. Uh, it also provides greater safety uh, because we have had uh, just a, a rash of accidents that have you know, really uh, scared the heck out of everyone. So we are looking at ways we can use technology to bring that number of deaths down. 
And of course, you're talking about Randy Cole with the Ohio yeah. Turnpike yeah. Commission. Former, former Ohio Turnpike yes. Executive yes. Director. Yes. So technology is, is, is something that we're looking at as we move forward. Uh, and Hyperloop, again, uh, is something that I think has its best utility for freight, but we'll see how it develops. Another lighter question here. Ohio has 84 rest areas. Yes. Your, uh, the DeWine administration is talking about something kind of unusual, bringing in more lighting and dog parks, <laughs> upgrading the buildings so they look like lodges or chalets. They'd have flat screen TVs inside featuring weather conditions, displays about Ohio history in there, and a soundtrack featuring famous musicians that you yourself, <laughs> famous Ohio musicians that you yourself put together. How much would that cost, though, to go through all of those rest areas, and how long would that take? Well, first of and all, is it something we should do? Well, Governor Mike DeWine uh, uh, touts Ohio, and he's all about making, oh my goodness, I thought I had this thing off. Everybody makes that mistake, governor. right? <laughs> I might, I, that might be the governor, but, uh, <laughs> but uh, uh, what, we're looking, what we're looking at here is the governor believes in selling Ohio. This is a great place to live. You know, anybody who comes to Ohio say, wow, I, I didn't know you folks had all this going on here in Ohio. So we are touting Ohio. We have one of the richest music histories in the world. You know, there are only a couple of, you know, I love Alabama where I was born, but when I think about jazz stars, all they had was Nat King Cole. They don't have anybody else. Uh, but you have hundreds of jazz, you know, you have tens of dozens of jazz stars who have come out of Ohio. And what we're talking about is selling Ohio. Uh, promoting Ohio, and it's not every rest area. It's what we're talking about is our gateway rest areas. When you go to other states, such as Virginia, North Carolina, the, the, the Atlantic coast, they do it quite well. You know, we're talking about making people know how great Ohio is, and we're going to do that at our, what we call our gateway rest areas. Those first ones when you come in off an interstate, the first rest area. So it's not going to be all. So it's going to require, it's, it's transportation related, so the, the uh, expenditure is justified. And but, how much is that expenditure? You know, we're looking at about you know, $15 million you know, to upgrade. For the whole the, thing? Or, yeah. for, for, for gateway areas, we're looking at 11 to $15 million for a really top-notch gateway. So, and that's total, not individual? That's total. <laughs> All right. Yes. Well, and, and, and before we turn it over to audience questions, <laughs> you brought up the music thing. I got to ask you, uh, any thoughts on the Rock Hall class of 2020? Well. Uh, my wife and I were actually up here watching on simulcast last year when Janet Jackson said, more women, more women in the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. And, uh, I'm okay with the class this year, but they could have added Pat Benatar. You know, I, just, <laughs> <laughs> I, I think her body of work compares favorably with the others who were inducted. But again, again, I've been a big supporter of the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame uh, ever since its inception. And we actually had a regional transportation officials meeting here a couple of years ago. I was just talking to John Bacuri, our District 12 deputy director, about it. We brought in people from the Great Lakes of Midwestern states, and I kid you not, they're still talking about going to the Rock Hall three years later. <laughs> there you go. All right, well, today at the City Club, we're listening to a forum <coughs> with Dr. Jack Marchbanks, the director of the Ohio Department of Transportation. We're about to begin the audience Q&A. We welcome questions, as long as they're questions, from everyone. So holding the microphones today are content and program director Bliss Davis and also City Club intern Remy Orsanya. So may I have the first question, please? Please stand up so that we can see you. Good afternoon. Um, you mentioned you've le learned a lot from Europe on uh, street crossings. Yes. Could you talk a little bit more about that and what other things you've learned from international collaborations? Yes, one of the uh, uh, most frequent collaborations we've had is in smart technology. Uh, we have had visits from Netherlands, from uh, Spain, uh, other 
other, uh, actually Ohio is on their radar in regards to what we're doing with uh, smart technologies with such things as a transportation research center, uh, with some of the things that we're doing in regards to smart lanes and of course, uh, many things being done on the Ohio Turnpike Commission, uh, on, on the Ohio Turnpike. But what we've learned uh, from uh, our European uh, transportation stewards is that you have to change road speeds and road volumes to have safe, uh, safe crossings for pedestrians and to accommodate bicyclists. You can't have 35, 45 mile per hour streets and expect bicyclists to you know, you know, cruise down along with that high speed traffic. Uh, the traffic calming, I know it, it's, a, it's, it's an anathema to some people, particularly those who want to move traffic in and out of urban areas, but traffic calming in cities works and it, it makes the cities safer. So that's what we've learned in our, in our last few years. And that the, uh, the Europeans are very much interested in how we're going to move forward with vehicle to everything technology. And they are actually leading us in some cases, but we are looking at uh, best practices and how we can learn from uh, those, uh, those leading European countries, mostly Northern Europe. Uh, but what we've learned thus far, and in fact, we're moving forward with a safety program that reflects a lot of the uh, pedestrian and bicyclist issues that we've, uh, that we've seen in places like the Netherlands and Finland and Spain. You mentioned Smart Lane. I've, yes. I've got a, uh, you, you folks up here haven't experienced it yet, but I experience it almost every day. It's a, it's a basically driving on the shoulder mm -hmm. out of downtown Columbus. You've added a fourth lane essentially by allowing the shoulder to open when there's a traffic uh, obstruction. Yes. But once that Smart Lane is open, traffic is supposed to be down to 45 miles right. an hour. Yes. Well, why does that work and why can't you just keep Smart Lane open all the time? Wouldn't it be better <laughs> to just do that? Well. What people don't realize is that uh, since the time that Mike DeWine George, you know, joined George Victor Voinovich to run for governor and lieutenant governor in 1990 to the now when you have Mike DeWine as governor with John Houston as lieutenant governor, is that we've only added 3.6% to our entire roadway volume. That 50,000 miles, lane miles I talked to you about at the outset it's only increased, that represents a 3.6% increase. So we're using the shoulder because it's, it costs millions of dollars just for one lane mile on the interstate. So we are looking at using technology to get the most out of our existing roadway system. And the reason we only do it in the evenings is because the traffic actually flows midday. We were looking at when does traffic back up? It backs up of the evening commute. For those of you who don't know, Cleveland used to have the highest congestion quarter, I-271 here. You're number two now. <laughs> You're number two. Uh, the highest congested urban area for passenger cars is in Columbus, between 161 on the 270 Otter Belt on the east side, going up to Morse Road. And, wow. And that's, My neighborhood. Yeah, your neighborhood. Great. Yeah, you picked it. Well, uh, but uh, what you have there is we, what we found out. It's you know, some of the things that engineers you know come up with. Are, they, they seem counterintuitive. If you slow traffic, it'll flow better. But if you think about rate of pour, pouring water. Uh, into uh, a cup or into a funnel. If you pour it too fast, it splashes back on you. If you slow traffic, that traffic actually flows. So we are looking at doing that not only in Columbus, it's been a successful, it's been successful thus far. So we're looking at Cleveland and Cincinnati as other areas where we can apply these, uh, again, smart technology tactics to get the most out of our roadway system. Let's go to another audience question. 
Good afternoon. Yes. Uh, I've been taking public transportation on a regular basis for 50 years in yes. three different cities. My personal observation borne out from what I read is, is that public transportation has, for lack of a better word, a demographic problem. It's increasingly the place where people go if you're poor, if uh, you're disabled, mm -hmm. uh, and if you're elderly. Uh, because it seems to me the fewer and fewer people take it, uh, other people take it, and it never seems to be, no matter what they do, people don't take it if you have other options. So my question is, is there any truth to that observation of mine? And if that is the case, then how do we resolve this problem of funding it? Because most people don't take it, and I don't think really care about it. That's a heavy question. Um, I, I, and, but it's very serious in the sense that you are correct. You know, transport, you know transit is usually uh, the, the refuge and the means for people who don't have a lot of money. Uh, I took transit uh, while I was a teenager in, in Dayton with my first job until I could afford a car. Uh, so that's how I got to work. Uh, I, I think it's going, to it's going to have to be uh, this kind of coming together of those of our entire community, if, since we're just talking perspective and philosophy here. First of all, I acknowledge that what you're saying, I, I, I see it too. I don't know if data bears it out, but my anecdotal observations over life see the same thing, that you know, it's, it's the poor and underprivileged who take transit, and therefore those people who live in the suburbs and, and, and aren't poor uh, don't use it. But one thing that's going on is as we find it being more and more expensive and more and more congested on the highways, if we can come up with ways of getting uh, that uh, more affluent demographic on the bus using transit, uh, I think that that kind of stigma will go away. Uh, in Columbus right now, they're using several downtown traffic generators nationwide, other banks, uh, other, uh, 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 other businesses that are located in the central business district are giving free bus passes uh, to people just to get them off the highways. And I look on those buses, I, I, I observe that kind of thing. I look at those buses and I see multiracial faces. I see, some cases I see more white faces than I see black or brown. So it can be done. There are gonna to have to be incentives that, uh, that make transit a viable option. Uh, uh, one of my dear friends uh, rode the bus uh, from Bexley to ODOT every day uh, because he just wanted to see what people were experiencing uh, on that route. So, I agree with you, but it's going to have to be something that's not only transportation oriented, but it's going to have to be, I think, a social, sociological transformation as well. Other question. Uh, you mentioned bicycles. Yes, sir. Um, in Europe, where they are very successful in getting people out of automobiles and on, into bicycles or on bicycles, uh, they do it by building bike lanes. Yes. And they build them besides the roads, and they, when they build a new road, they always build a bike lane beside the road. Mm -hmm. um, here, it seems like the idea of a bike lane is you paint an outline of the bike on an automobile lane and dare people not to get run over. Uh, <laughs> I have a bike. I, I don't drive them. I don't ride them. <laughs> I, I try to get to the trails as soon as I can. Yeah, I, I, is there any... Is there any thought about developing bike, real bike lanes in the cities here so that we can encourage people to use bike? And incidentally, there's a health payoff for that. Of course. Well, I have to say that uh, with uh, uh, that issue, ODOT is, can assist, but it really comes down to the cities and the metropolitan planning organizations, such as the one that Grace heads here in, 
in the northeastern Ohio area. Uh, there are uh, manuals out. It, it takes the cities to determine, and they get pushback, by the way. I've seen the pushback that people get when they uh, try to create a safe bike lane because you're squeezing the existing uh, lane for those people who are driving. But it takes uh, that commitment from uh, local governments to say, we're going to withstand the pushback and uh, create a, a real bikeable lane rather than a, I dare you to ride your bike on that lane. <laughs> And, and you have to re-educate drivers, because yes, yes. when we got bike lanes yes. in Columbus, it really took some effort to correct. make sure that you weren't putting people in danger who have chosen to ride bikes. Correct, so. correct. It's going to take a mind, it's going to take a, a, a culture, culture shift, it really is. Hey, Director Munchbanks, thank yes. you for your attention to issues of transit, um, safety, and bike issues. I'm a cyclist as well as a transit rider, as well as a driver. Yes. Um, so I always like to think that my user fee should be able to pay for all the modes that I use. <laughs> um, that's my interpretation of the gas tax. But I, um, I thank you for your personal commitments to these issues. I think my question is about what ODOT's structural commitments are going to yes. be. Mm -hmm. I think it's inaccurate to say that ODOT's not in the cities. Our city councilwoman in Cleveland Heights wanted to put a bike lane in on Cedar and knows that if level of service is disrupted based on the ODOT grade of what level of service is supposed to be committed to, mm -hmm. that we will lose our state funding for, for Cedar. Um, so, and or at least that there's, there's very real limitations on local government to mm -hmm. be able to implement mm -hmm. actual bike lanes that would be safe and protected for our users in our city um, based on the state's uh, implementation of how it does funding. On transit, and that also, you, like you said, level of service is a direct impact on safety. Mm -hmm. Cars are the biggest killer in the states of, of, of early death before, over guns. And my second question is about transit. Um, and we know that ODOT gets billions of dollars year over year in federal funding to flexible programs that could be used for transit. Even the National Highway Performance Program could fund I-71 parallel or adjacent right-of-way, like the red line, and we could have funding for the red line from federal funds. So my question is, what is structurally ODOT actually going to do mm -hmm. to do any commitments on level of service or safety or transit funding that you have in your power now and have for years? All right. All right, well, to those questions, uh, thank you for that. To those questions in regards to uh, losing funding uh, for uh, your federal aid highway system if certain bike lanes are placed in that, uh, that same roadway, I would encourage you to talk to uh, our, our team. Uh, I am not aware of any threats to uh, withdraw federal aid highway money for a city seeking to adopt really strong bike lanes, and we can look into that issue. You, 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 all right. The, the second is that in regards to being able to flex dollars, uh, ODOT receives. We're now we don't receive billions. We, we are now we're now uh, actually primarily funded by state dollars. We used to be a federal dollars. We had more federal dollars coming in. We get about one point. Six billion in for feds and 1.5. Now we're up to almost one. You know, now we actually have one, almost more, uh, 1.8 for our from our our local share, our state dollars. So we do have the ability to flex dollars, and we were flexing dollars for transit prior to the general assembly uh, deciding to put 70 million dollars into this biennium budget. 
we still have the ability to flex. Uh, we usually flex dollars for uh, allowing uh, the local systems, usually for their, uh, their bus fleets and other, uh, other uh, needs that they may have. But uh, again, we always have the options to flex. So we take, uh, we have a local public administration program. We listen all the time to our locals. Governor Mike DeWine is a local friendly governor. And what we're looking at here is if you have suggestions how we can better flex our dollars to support transit, we'll hear them. Um, I'm curious why a discussion on light rail, mm -hmm. which as you mentioned is millions of dollars per mile for a, um, a road, it's got to be even more for light rail. Yeah. With a bus, you can get it, buy a bus today, it's operating tomorrow. Mm -hmm. You can change the route mm -hmm. immediately to meet demand. Mm -hmm. So why light rail as opposed to increasing bus capacity? Oh, it wasn't either or. Uh, it was saying that uh, you were asking about the future, and, and I would say light rail and passenger rail would be beneficial to Ohio's future. In regards to bu bus rapid transit, we have been supporting that, and we will continue to support it. We have the bus rapid transit uh, infrastructure improvements that we've made here in Cleveland. We have the new Thrive 105 that we put $3.5 million into engineering to help create uh, that kind of bus rapid transit uh, with the infrastructure that keeps buses moving quickly and out of traffic. So again, uh, we're not saying either or, we're just saying buses plus light rail if the local governments are willing to do that. Uh, when I was a kid growing up on the east side of Cleveland, we had rail lines that fanned out all over the east side. Mm -hmm. We had at least two private bus companies that came downtown. My dad rode them down to 9th and Euclid. We had electric buses downtown. The rail lines were all downtown Euclid Avenue, all around uh, Public Square. We had uh, Shaker Rapid, mm -hmm. and we also, uh, not in my time, I think, but we had an interurban inter line that runs a high-speed rail, went from Cleveland, Columbus, and Cincinnati, as I understand it. What was wrong with all that? I, I, I don't see anything that was wrong with all of that. There's a, there's a great documentary, I'm a historian by training, there's a great documentary called Taken for a Ride, where it basically details how uh, the auto industry systematically tore out electric rail systems across this nation. It's the truth. So again, these are sociological, uh, cultural factors, economic development factors that we are dealing with here in 2020. Again, it's, it's the legacy of all of us. It's the, it happened, and again, uh, these large forces took out light rail. I used to ride an electric rail car uh, to and from my work at the Defense Electronic Supply Center out in Kettering. I lived on the west side of Dayton. That electric rail bus, that, that electrified bus for regional transit no longer exists. So uh, these are things that in the course of history have changed. But again, it, it, was, it was intentional. It was intentional to take out these light rail systems according to historians. Uh, in favor of creating more cars, more roadways. Uh, I inherited that, and I, and I, and I take that heat, but uh, the system we have today is, a, is as a result of decades of uh, investment shifts. Next question. 
Dr. Marchbanks, thank yes, you. Sir. Thank you for coming to Cleveland. I want to let you know that some of those rails are still under the roads. <laughs> um, yeah. it, it, one, one of them's running right past our church. Oh my! I do want you to know the. I wanted to ask you though. In contrast, mm. the money. I always thought a lot of the money for the Department of Transportation came from the Ohio Turnpike. Yes. And how the gas tax is going to help promote that money for the Department of Transportation. And have you thought about cameras on the highways in order for them to be more safe? Well, l hold on. Let me understand the first part of your question again in regards to the turnpike. Yes. I, how will the money from the gas tax help Impact the money? The yeah. Will, will it give more money to the Department of Transportation than the Ohio Turnpike does? Because we have a lot of people still traveling on the turnpike. Well, actually, the funding streams are different. Uh, the Ohio Department of Transportation is solely funded by the uh, uh, by the uh, motor vehicle user fee, the turnpike relies on its tolls. And in regards to your second question, so there's, there's very little crossover. Those people who buy gasoline on, on the turnpike actually do pay uh, some gas tax, and the turnpike would like for us to give that money back to them. <laughs> Farzana Ahmed, the executive director of the turnpike, is a long and dear friend, uh, very competent and, you know, and, and, gr and great leader for the turnpike and infrastructure commission. We're talking about it, but no, no promises yet. Uh, but the other aspect of it is that we are using cameras. Uh, we are using cameras uh, to monitor uh, traffic, traffic management. We have what we call the traffic management center, and and uh, Columbus, we have cameras on almost all of you up here in Cleveland. We, we have cameras everywhere. Uh, no, in all seriousness, in all seriousness, you know, we, we do look at those high ADT uh, quarters and we put traffic cameras on them. As part of the new technology system, we can actually learn a lot more with cameras than any other methods. We, many times with our system of uh, uh, cameras on our interstates and, and major routes, and, and sometimes there are actually in cities at major intersections too, uh, we know what's going to go up. We know what's happening almost as soon as the accident happens. And actually, I've been to your camera room. Yeah. It, it's pretty impressive. And, yeah. and you've got hundreds of these. And I encourage you folks to look it up online and see what this looks like because you can show pictures from all over the state and, yes. and really monitor things that are going on. Next question. <laughs> Director Marchbanks, uh, you alluded to this earlier about the federal side of the gas tax and yes. the state side. I mean, yes. you guys did a tremendous job showing leadership in raising the gas tax within Ohio and joined so many other states that have raised their gas taxes recently. But we all know since 1993 that federal gas tax has not moved. Will you and the governor and your sister states, you know, be able to le leverage your success in getting the federal government to raise their gas tax? Michael, in regard to that question, we work, we work with our, our sister states and the state DOTs with, it's called the American Association of State Highway and Transportation Officials, all 50 states and two territories. Everyone's concerned about the FAST Act and uh, what will be occurring here in October where this uh, federal funding bill actually expires. And uh, the, motor, the Highway Trust Fund, uh, as Mr. Shipper talked about, I've known Michael for a long time since we were both at the Turnpike back in the early 2000s. Uh, it's actually going to be uh, in deficit. Uh, it's going to be in the, in the red. So we are not taking position. Uh, Governor Wine, I can't speak for him and, and what he has done. He hasn't mentioned anything to me as to what he has decided to do, but the governor believes in investment and he, he, he chose to uh, spend political capital to get Ohioans to invest in our system. 
uh, we have, I've spoken to both uh, Sheriff Brown's people and, and, and Senator Portman's people. Uh, it'll be interesting to see where the legislators stand when it comes to investing in transportation infrastructure because uh, a real deadline is facing them. So we'll find out uh, before Thanksgiving. Next question. You mentioned $400 million in debt, pay it off this year. Yes, sir. I'm just wondering, how much more debt is left that you're dealing with? How far back does it go? <laughs> and, and before you answer that, I was in California a couple of years ago. It's going to take light rail from my cousin's neighborhood to downtown L.A. Uh -huh. So is that from the Bay Area? Um, no, L.A. Oh, from L.A.? Uh, Oh, okay. The, you know, the light, light rail. rail in L.A. Just, okay. They just built it. Yeah. Mm -hmm. There's a guy planting shrubbery in the parking lot, and he's got his blueprints. I look at him, and he's, he asked me, where was I from? I said, Ohio. And he said, thank you. The reason they were putting the shrubs in was because we didn't do our rail line from Cleveland, Columbus to Cincinnati. <laughs> <laughs> well, the, mon okay. the money got sent to LA and New York, <laughs> California, New York. So realistically, my first question was, how much money in debt are we? And is it realistic to think that we might be able to even talk to the state legislature about getting that project started again? Well, I think it's all, always realistic. You know, this is a society, this is, you know, we, have, we live in a republic where the citizens are supposed to, supposed to have a key voice. So I think it's always realistic that you can talk to your legislature in regards to our, our debt load, uh, our debt load uh, at the Ohio Department of Transportation was uh, nearing uh, 300 billion. Pardon me, 3 billion, pardon me, I don't want to scare everybody. Uh, 3 billion, three, 3 billion, and now we are, we're knocking that down. We should be, uh, we should have our debt, and again, all state agencies use some type of debt. You know, I don't want to say that we never borrow money at the Ohio Department of Transportation, but we have reached a point where the debt load was untenable. So we're looking at paying down debt. Uh, uh, again, we're looking at about $400 million a year. This was our highest debt year. This is our, this is our peak mortgage payment, to put it in terms everyone understands. Now we're going to be descending, and we'll have that debt under control, we think, by 2024. Next question. Next, we have a question from Twitter, which states, interested in how the ODOT statewide will address distracted drivers and the many lives lost to this dangerous behavior behind the wheel. Hmm. Well, that's, that's, that's a question I'm happy to answer. Um, you know, we are getting ready to mount a vigorous campaign. Governor Mike DeWine is leading this. Uh, distracted driving is, you know, really, uh, it's pandemic. Uh, it used to be that we thought it was just kids driving distracted, young people. It's now adults, boomers are driving distracted. And 300,000, we had 300,000 crashes in Ohio last year. 300,000. 75,000 we know of were distracted driving related. So we are looking at making distracted driving a primary offense. Uh, Governor Mike DeWine is looking at leading that charge. We have friends in the Ohio General Assembly on, in, in both the Senate and the House who are looking at making distracted driving a primary offense. We know by looking at other states such as Georgia where that has happened, distracted driving crashes went down 21%. That's 
one life out of five being saved. So again, uh, we are looking at making that a priority. Safety is a priority of the DeWine administration, the priority of the Ohio Department of Transportation. We are spending money. We have 150 safety projects. A lot of them are going to, we're going to engineer as much safety into the system as we can. But the key point is 94%, 94% of all crashes are driver error. Doing something wrong in the car, not looking, following too close, driving too fast. So we have to take responsibility for how we drive out there because that's really our, your only goal. If you want to safely get to where you're going, pay attention and, and put down the phone. You know, don't try to eat, don't try to put on makeup or your tie your shoe. You know, do, <laughs> you know, drive. Uh, and that, that's your number one responsibility, and that'll keep us all safer out there. Because it, it, we laugh about it, but I bet you everybody in here has lost somebody or has someone seriously injured uh, in, a, in, a, in an auto vehicle accident. And we, when we blow it off, we become inured to it. So safety is our number one uh, concern. And we're going to, you're going to be not only seeing the legislation, you're going to see a very vigorous uh, education and promotional campaign against distracted driving. At least one bill I know of has been uh, yes. proposed. Yes. And when uh, Governor DeWine was asked if he supported it, the reporter couldn't even get the question all the way out before <laughs> DeWine said yes, he wants to do something about this. Another question. Good afternoon, Dr. Marchbanks. Um, over the last few years, there have been significant advances in um, aut autonomous car technology. Yes. Yes. Um, Tesla, Ford, Mercedes have been working on uh, self-driving vehicles. Mm -hmm. How is ODOT going to adapt to this new technology, and are there plans in place to um, welcome that new technology on our roads? ODOT, I'm happy to say, is uh, one of the leading states through our, our, our division, Drive Ohio. We have been on, uh, on the front lines in regards to uh, anticipating this technology with vehicle to uh, everything. We have the US 33 Smart Mobility Quarter, where we actually have European companies coming into the state to test uh, vehicles. We have a great weather system here in Ohio. It doesn't seem like it sometimes, but everybody wants, <laughs> they want four seasons. You know, you can test, you know, autonomous vehicles in California or, or, or Utah. It's dry all the time. They want to know how you make this technology safe in, in, in temporal climates where, temperate climates where you have snow and ice, you have four seasons. Sometimes so, all on the same weekend. Yeah, yeah, that's true. That's true. Uh, but, uh, we uh, are excited about that. We not only are dealing with uh, smart mobility uh, when it comes to surface transportation, but we're also involved with unmanned aerial uh, services. And we are anticipating the new drone technology where we're going to at least have package delivery by drones here in the next five years. Uh, so we are looking at uh, all of these things. Again, we're looking to the future. You'll see all these things in our uh, Access Ohio uh, 2045. Uh, study looking into the future, Ohio's transportation future, which will be released this summer. Uh, we're excited to talk about all these things. I think we have time for one more question. What about bridges? I yes, understand sir. we have a lot of bridges in Ohio. Yes, sir. Another part of the decaying infrastructure, and uh, how are we going to invest in that? Bridges are, are critically important to our system. I talked about those 50,000 mile, lane miles, or 15,000 bridges. We're second in, only Texas has more bridges in Ohio. And you say, well, why is that? We ice age all these ravines and, and all these things, that why we have all these that great bridges. But what we're looking at here is we have most of our bridge system in an excellent condition. As the local government, when we were going through the uh, transportation uh, revenue uh, request with Governor DeWine at the lead, 
it's the local governments that we're worried about their bridges. Uh, so we're happy not only to be work investing these dollars in our bridges, but actually starting what we call a major bridge program to help local governments fund some of their bridges because some of your bridges are very, very uh, immense structures. So we're helping out wherever we can. But yes, we, we are confident in the, in the, in the uh, condition of our bridges here in Ohio. Do we have time for one more? Uh-uh. <laughs> nope, got to wrap it up. Well, thank you very much, Dr. March Banks. Well, it's great you, to talk Karen. to you. So today at the City Club, we've been listening to a forum with Dr. Jack Marchbanks, the director of the Ohio Department of Transportation. To find out more about upcoming forums and how you can support the City Club, visit us online at cityclub.org. This forum is now adjourned. For information on upcoming speakers or for podcasts of the City Club, go to cityclub.org. Production and distribution of City Club forums on IdeaStream are made possible by the generous support of PNC, the Chautauqua Institution, the Cleveland Clinic, and the United Black Fund of Greater Cleveland Incorporated.